Hello again and welcome back to the Historical Investigative, a branch of the history podcast where each week we explore a probing question of the past through guided discussion. We've had a special request this week to look at Roman religious policy, particularly we'll be working to answer the question, what approach did the state take towards religions considered hostile to the state? To answer this question, we will review the structure of religion in Rome and what constituted a hostile religion. Further, we aim to examine the reign of prominent emperors which influenced religious persecution in the state, why this policy was enforced and how it was imposed throughout the empire by the Roman state. In our exploration, we will use a case study of Christianity to build a response to this impending question as the galvanisation of Christians during the reigns of our emperors seemed to pose particular threat to the religious practice of the state. To begin, we will first explain the traditional religious structure upheld in the Roman Empire and what defined a hostile religion in this particular context. It's generally widespread knowledge that the Roman religious system revolved around a belief in many gods. This such phenomena is called polytheistic religion or polytheism, which through quite literally separating the word into its affixes, alludes to belief in multiple gods. Polytheistic religion meant that citizens could be rather flexible in their religious practice. For instance, they could choose gods to pray to, sacrifice and worship, dependent on their particular need. One such example being Bacchus, the Roman god of agriculture and wine. Hence, citizens would worship and sacrifice to Bacchus, particularly in the farming and wine regions of southern Italy, to ensure their crops would be prosperous and they would have good farming seasons. True to the concept of polytheism, Roman religious gods were not at all necessarily equal. Some were indeed subordinate to others, primarily Jupiter who was king of the gods. Now looking to the opposite end of the spectrum, there is monotheistic religion, or monotheism, which again, broken into its affixes, means a belief in only one or powerful god or divine being. Notable religions which practice monotheism include pagans, the Jewish and Christians. Each of these religions have derived from faith in the same one God, which between them they have interpreted to form these different facets of a singular belief. However, for the sake of this podcast, we will focus on the monotheism practice as Christianity, as the followers of God and Jesus Christ were among the most outlawed and prosecuted non-traditional religions present within the empire. This is not, however, to say that the Jewish or pagans were never persecuted, but their persecution was not as nearly as lengthy, debated or as severe as that experienced by the Christians. Contrasted with the foundations of polytheism, the flexibility of divine beings to worship in the sphere of Roman religion, followers of monotheism in the form of Christianity consulted and were consoled by only one God to maintain their prosperity and well-being. Across the Roman Empire, their own polytheism was standardised as the official religion of the state. Hence, it was widely practised through sacrificial ceremonies, festivals, and the construction of dedicated monuments, temples and statues, and effigies in people's homes. Whilst the Roman Empire would have been far too expansive for this standard religious practice to be effectively regulated, under the rule of few emperors, there were genuine attempts to streamline polytheistic practice, through outlawing and persecuting followers of the monotheistic religion. As previously noted, Christianity was one of the most impacted of the monotheistic religions from new religious policies of persecution. We will now move on to exploring why monotheism presented a hostile threat to the state through explaining the development of the imperial cult 
and its effect on the early Christian persecution policies during the Julio-Claudian dynasty. As discussed, polytheism was a tradition for Roman religious policy, as it was believed that through strengthening the bond between man and the gods and other divine beings, miracles could occur and their lives could continue peacefully. Of course, Roman religion essentially rests its faith in the legends of the heroes and their correspondence with the gods rather than manifesting in physical living gods among the people. Christianity, on the other hand, was still a very young, new religion forged upon a belief in the word of God spread by his son, Jesus Christ, throughout the Middle East. Jesus was a living man, however, a divine being through his relation to God and the miracles he performed. Hence, the Romans treated his followers and the religion itself with suspicion, as their religious system almost refutes the possibility of a supposed divine being a merely a mortal man, to mention a mortal man claiming to be king of the Jews, a claim considered complete blasphemy in the eyes of the Romans. During Jesus' time among the Romans, he galvanised support for Christianity and towards his end endured torture and a horrific death, which only solidified his position as a martyr in the Christian world. However, although Christianity spread quickly throughout the empire, Christians remained a minority among Roman citizens, with their treatment dependent upon the overseer of the Roman state, the emperor. The role of the Roman state in this context was dependent upon the opinion and influence of the emperor, and hence religious policy was subjective to the emperor's beliefs. The state would merely enforce this policy through law and sometimes military force. In the spirit of explaining cause for Christian persecution, we will first examine the imperial cult, a concept advanced and perpetuated by the Julio-Claudian dynasty which encompassed the first five emperors of Rome from the beginning of the first century CE. The concept of the imperial cult was to deify the Roman emperors and give them power through a divine connection with the gods. Emperors which assumed the imperial cult were given godlike status because their own contributions to the Roman people were like that of a god. This cult began to be circulated by Augustus, who had witnessed his father, Julius Caesar's deification, and deemed himself worthy to continue this tradition. The imperial cult was practiced similarly to polytheistic religion. The divine god-king was tacked on as essentially another one of the twelve gods encompassed by Roman religion, and was commemorated similarly through monuments and festivals. The imperial cult was careful not to promote itself above the gods, however, but was often used as a strategy of conceptualising the power of Rome, both politically and militarily, under its leader. Whilst some emperors adopted a policy of tolerance when addressing monotheistic religions, such as Christianity, others chose persecution over peace. This persecution was not only due to the rejection of monotheism in Roman culture, but was supplemented by the atheist view held towards Roman religion and the concept of the gods by Christians. Emperors dating way back to Octavian Augustus had upheld a primary duty, which was to safeguard the Pax Deorum, which was the ancient arrangement by which the gods would provide peace, security and prosperity to the human race in return for worship and sacrifices. If the emperor did not uphold and enforce the Pax Deorum, ensuring the gods were worshipped properly, there was a legitimate belief that the human race would be plunged into demise. The Christians, even though they were still a minority religion, threatened the stability of the Pax Deorum as they refused to sacrifice to the gods, 
Hence, under Roman rule, they were viewed as enemies of the state and of peace, and for this, they must be punished. The prosecution of Christians within the Roman Empire formally began during the reign of Nero, who was emperor from 54 to 68 CE, and the last of the Julio-Claudian rulers. Before Nero, Christianity was treated equal to other religions like Judaism and paganism, and treated with a policy of tolerance. In this context, the state would only look down upon religious practices which breached social norms and harboured vulgarity toward Rome. As Christians remained stubborn to worship the gods and god-kings of Rome, they were perceived as a political threat. Hence, by the reign of Nero, Christianity was politically and religiously at risk within the empire. In terms of Roman law, failure to worship the state gods was a crime of treason. Nero's response to this crime was the Great Fire of 64 AD, which saw a massive fire break out in Rome, destroying much of the city and many Christians who refused to worship the state deities. Whilst Nero made several attempts to show he was not responsible for the destruction, many ancient scholars still agree he was likely the instigator. This event began his persecution against the Christians. Nero's mindless brutality towards the Christians was demonstrated in three common forms of execution, being thrown to the beasts, crucifixion, as we see with Jesus himself, and being burnt alive. Whilst Nero aimed to repress the Christian following, he would only set the foundation for development of the Jesus movement and the wider circulation of Christianity, a trend we will see occur many times as emperors attempt to quash the Christian religion. Following this, Christians were even more galvanised and dedicated to the spreading of the gospel, demonstrating that many attempts by the state to approach and terminate hostile religion were inevitably unsuccessful and only contributed to and became inspiration for the subsequent origin stories of Christian martyrs. This galvanisation following demonstrations of persecution only angered the state and perpetuated the necessity for an anti-Christian movement in Rome. After Nero, the religious tolerance policy once adopted by the Roman state seemed to have been absolved, however was enforced to varying degrees in imperial reigns that followed. Broadly, there was a don't ask, don't tell policy when it came to religious preference and Christianity in the Roman state. This was until Domitian came to power in 81 AD. Domitian aimed to continue the imperial cult of those which preceded him, wanting to be honoured as a god not only in death but throughout his lifetime. Hence, he was obligated to take action against those who opposed the deification of the emperor, which of course were the Christians, who remained stubborn to acknowledge the worship of the gods, let alone the emperor. However, what is interesting about Domitian is that although he began with intent to carry on Nero's policy of persecution, he seemed to later evoke his decision. As Tertullian documents, Domitian too, who was a good deal of a Nero in cruelty, attempted it, but being in some degree human, he stopped what he had begun and restored those he had banished. Therefore, Domitian's reign presented a period of remorse for Christian persecution and a temporary change in the state law to revert again toward tolerance. Tertullian's statement provides evidence towards an assumption that Domitian was more concerned 
in upholding the imperial cult than beginning a legitimate attempt to perpetuate Christian persecution. Hence, Domitian then began a formal period in Rome of good emperors, an era where Christian oppression was somewhat stabilised and fewer persecutions occurred against Christian followers. This state approach was continued during the reign of Trajan during the early 2nd century, where although there were occurrences of persecution at the lower and state levels, the role of the state in enforcing persecution policy was hardly active. So much so that the Emperor Trajan's reply to the questions raised by Pliny about the way of treating Christians. The official view of the Emperor was almost neutrality. Trajan writes in his response, These people must not be hunted out until the charge against them is proven, and other scholars agree that most Roman officials took Trajan's advice when approaching Christians and rarely hunted for or accepted anonymous accusations against them. This action, or lack thereof, demonstrates a neutral approach towards considered hostile religion, further confirming that the religious policy and treatment of religions considered a threat to the state was at the mercy of imperial opinion and statement. This policy of tolerance seemed to, however, accumulate a hatred for Christianity until the reign of Diocletian in the 3rd century, where persecution of Christians became a priority and a key theme in how Diocletian exercised power. Christians had been tolerated for at least four decades before Diocletian. Even Diocletian himself had initially appointed Christians to his court. However, imperial officials and auricular priests began to protest and lobby for Christian repression, and the basis of the state rule was altered by Diocletian to fulfil these requests. This change was documented by Porphyry of Tyre, the editor of the work of Plontinus. In his own work, Philosophy from Oracles and Against the Christians, he explained that the salient difference between religious violence during the mid-3rd century and that which erupted under Diocletian is the oracles taken from the gods during this time implicated attacks on Christians, meaning the gods agreed with the state in persecuting Christian followers. One of the best-known anti-Christian oracles associated with the persecution under Diocletian came from Apollo at Didyma in 303 CE. Lactantius, a Christian author who would eventually become an advisor to Constantine I, explains that Diocletian was pressured and listened to arguments favouring persecution for quite some time, but it was only Apollo's oracle which finally persuaded him to change state religion and outlaw the practice of Christianity. Although Lactantius does not repeat what the oracle said exactly in his writings, he does note that Apollo responded to Diocletian as the Christian's enemy. Further, the oracles and prophecies received during the time of Diocletian share common themes. They accuse Christians of being profane, impious and polluted. They also perpetuate that Christians are ignorant and inherently tangled in error. They comment too that Jesus, although devout, is to blame for Christian error and that he was rightfully executed. The oracles charge Christianity with harming the world, the human race and the gods, supporting another belief at the time of some state officials, which was that the practice of Christian rituals brought evil demons to, into the cities of Rome. Porphyry of Tyre further claims the following of this time in his work. 
He says the gods are no longer resident among us. Ever since Jesus began to be honoured, no one ever heard of any public assistance from the gods. In the year 303 CE, Diocletian and his imperial colleagues issued an edict which ordered all Christian churches to be destroyed, scriptures to be burned and followers of Christianity to be formally dismissed from government service and stripped of all civil rights. Judicial torture and enormous public executions became a standard theme in violence toward Christians and anyone who was perceived as disobedient or dangerous to the state. It was assumed that these gruesome public punishments would impress onlookers with the power of the state and then defer future transgressions. But as for mentioned, this public display only bolstered the Jesus movement and perpetuated Christianity within the empire. Typically, those arrested and tortured Christians were given numerous invitations to sacrifice their religion and reconsider worship of the Roman polytheistic gods. However, most refused, staying true to a concept of martyrdom, which began with the death of Jesus. Essentially, they would die for their faith, and that infuriated the state even further. These public displays of violence and aggression towards Christians instigated by Diocletian would continue to bleed into the reins of his successors until Constantine I took power in 306 CE. Constantine, above all else, sought to restore peace to the empire and consensus to a divided church. The Constantinian state was willing to use its coercive powers to achieve this end. Constantine summoned the Council of Nicaea in 325 CE to heal the ruptures within the church. He attempted to standardise the practice of Christianity and funded the construction and establishment of churches within the empire which unified religious practices and shaped a policy of religious peace. This brought an informal end to the harsh persecution of the state towards Christians. Now we will consider again our initial question. What approach did the state take towards religions considered hostile to the state? We have examined the differences in religions among the Roman Empire and noted that the Roman state considered monotheism particularly Christianity, a hostile threat to their polytheistic religion and imperial cult through their deification of a seemingly mortal man and an atheist approach to the worship of Roman gods. Further, we have noted the approach of the state towards this threat through the particular reigns of emperors such as Nero and Diocletian, where the most extreme examples of persecution involve the burning of churches and scriptures, public execution and torture, and the stripping of civil rights of all identifying Christians. From this discussion, we can agree that the state approach was indeed subject to the reigning emperor, and hence the treatment of Christians fluctuated from the 1st to the 4th centuries. We can also affirm the influence of oracles and the desire for deification as a key theme when violence against hostile religions such as Christians, would escalate. Nevertheless, once a crime against traditional religious practice or the security of the state was identified, measure would be taken immediately to repair the harm, where, at a minimum, the guilty party would be arrested and imprisoned for judgment with intention that their eventual punishment would reflect the material harm inflicted upon the state and the Roman people from their actions. 
Although Christians found in this situation were given the opportunity to convert to Roman religious practice and abandon their faith, they would often choose instead to face the punishment of the state. Therefore, the approaches and policy of the state towards hostile religions was extreme and severe, particularly when approaching Christian threats. However, their persecution only supported the later development of Christianity. We will finish off this podcast with the quote from Lactantius when addressing pagan persecutors. He writes, For if you wish to defend religion by bloodshed, and by tortures, and by guilt, it will no longer be defended, but will be polluted and profaned. Thank you all for listening, and I look forward to discussing another topic with you all next time. Yeah.